Hello, everybody, and welcome to Into the Prey. I want to just do a podcast which is entirely um, unscripted. Occasionally, I'll write something and then read it word for word or maybe embellish it in some ways. Uh, it's not always possible to do that for time's sake. We enjoyed a wonderful reading uh, last night from about 7pm till just before midnight from uh, the whole book of Isaiah, basically. And there was six of us, a couple of people from New Zealand, including a wonderful um, conclusion to the book of Isaiah read by an eight-year-old boy called Azariah. So if you've not heard or watched that, please go to YouTube to to see that. But anyway, all that to say is uh, there's only a certain amount of energy and time and hence this being unprepared. But I have felt very um, bothered, I think, in the last um, 48 hours with the news of the passing of Queen Elizabeth and the the flurry, the frenzy of activity nationally and indeed globally, but focused on Great Britain as a result of her passing. And the today I'm speaking to you, it's Saturday, uh, the proclamation of King Charles' uh, succession, which will come in due course. You'll have, I'm sure, been reflecting and... Um, just a momentous moment in the history of this country and I think with ripple effects uh, internationally and globally. So I want to I want to just do this piece not because something has happened of significance and to add commentary to it, but I think I feel obliged to do this podcast today having already, and I, I suppose in a way, committed myself to reflecting on a prophetic word that was brought by a gentleman called Chris Wickland, leader of a church in, um, I forget where, Titchfield, I think it is, near Portsmouth in the south of England. And I've been at pains in that podcast of a number of weeks ago to to make the point that, firstly, I didn't think that Chris Wickland was a false prophet. I didn't think um, even necessarily that the prophecy that Chris brought was false. My point was simply that I felt it was wide of the mark. And what I want to do today, just in this podcast now, is explain, um, having witnessed the events of the last 48 hours, why I still think that. But I also want to offer some, I suppose, words of warning to all of us Um who are leaning in to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church and and to us individually as as part of that, but who are able to lift our heads and think about the body of Christ more nationally. I hope this will help. Um, I just hope this will help for us all to, to be discerning. And that's really what it boils down to, to be discerning to what the Lord is saying and to what the Lord isn't saying, both personally, but I suppose given that this prophecy was given to a na- in a national context, I think there's a, a leaning here in my thinking and in what I'm saying to the national corporate sense. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20, if you've got your Bibles, maybe you could just flick to that, to that verse quickly. Uh, in fact, two or three verses. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20 to 22 says, 
Do not despise prophecies. That's one verse. Verse 21, the next verse says, but test everything, semicolon, hold fast what is good. I'll come to verse 22 in a minute. So those, those two verses, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20 and 21 says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Let me just say quickly who I'm not speaking to today. Uh, and certainly Chris Wickland and the church, the guys at that church and people following, influenced by, etc., are also not in this camp. Verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. There's a, there's a large part of the body of Christ who do despise prophecy. Um, so in a sense, what I'm saying here, well, not in a sense, what I'm saying to you today does not, does, I'm not referring to those people, okay, cessationists who, um, who despise prophecy. My burden for today for myself, for everybody listening, for the nation, is that we test everything and we hold fast what is good. Looking at the scripture, and I'm, I'm doing this because Again, with limited energy, in fact, very little reserve energy today, having uh, having had la- a late last night with what we were doing with the reading. You know, it's just uh, you'll everybody should understand what I mean when I say if if the Lord just speaks to you, you feel you have to do something. The love of Christ compels us. It says actually uh, in the ESV that the love of Christ controls me. Says Paul. So this is very very much. Um, a sense of that compulsion and control. As I looked at this verse, my burden being, I'll just be honest, thinking, okay, we've, we, I have, you know, these things in mind in light of what was brought to a, as a prophecy to the UK church, to the British church. And lo and behold, within, within a few weeks of that, and indeed before the first day of autumn, the first day of autumn, FYI, is Friday the 23rd of this month of September 2022. Now, I'll come back to the calendar in just a minute. Is to, um, and I'll come back because I think the dates here are quite important. They relate to the content. Um, But this compulsion from the Holy Spirit is to say something about this now, which I hope will be helpful for all of us. And I hope it will be helpful for Chris. I hope it will be helpful for Chris's uh, wife, for Chris's leadership team, for Chris's congregation. What what the word of God here is telling us to do, regardless of what we may think about any aspect of the body of Christ, if we are truly disciples of Christ, what do we do with prophecy? Well, we're, this is what it's telling us. We're to test everything. We're to hold fast what is good. Now, let's take that verse, verse 21, in reverse order. To hold fast what is good, having tested everything. In other words, if we don't do what the word of God tells us, if we don't test everything, we can't hold fast to what is good. And indeed, there is a very high risk of holding fast to that which is not good. Do you see that? If we, if we fail to test everything, if we test just some things, we cannot hold fast to what is good. 
I think this this is this is why verse twenty two follows abstain from every form of evil. See that contrast between the last word of verse twenty one, which is good, and the last word of verse of verse twenty two, which is evil. Good and evil, right and wrong, a hit or a miss, the voice of the Lord or not the voice of the Lord, perhaps the voice of the Lord and the interpretation of the flesh of man. If we fail to test everything, we cannot hold fast to what is good. We cannot hear the voice of the Lord. We cannot abstain from every form of evil. And so what is testing everything? Well, this is really the, the, the kind of the, the nitty gritty of what I want to say here today. And I think what's been bothering me, which is that it is undeniable that following this national prophecy to the British, the UK church, a few weeks ago, we have entered what is clearly the most historic, momentous period for at least 70 years. In fact, if you think about the, the combination of um, a, new, a new prime minister, a new cabinet, the passing of the queen who's been unparalleled in her reign on the throne for over 70 years, with then the new proclamation today of the king, we are clearly in a moment of significant historical flux. In fact, I would say that the fabric of the nation is frayed. The fabric of the nation is frayed. And so that's undeniable. And so that's what's bothered me as I've been reflecting. Do I need Do I need to repent? Have I missed something? Am I obstructing something that the Lord is saying or wanting to be received and obeyed? Which is why this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 is so important, because to answer that question... The only way of answering that question is to test everything. That's Paul's prescription of sanity. And don't forget, in and amongst what would have been a cacophony of prophecies, prophetic activity in his life, and I suppose in some ways that that does exist today, I'm perhaps more sheltered from the cacophony of prophetic stuff that's being said or written at this moment. I'm responding to one specific, I'm testing one specific prophetic word, which if you listen to my previous podcast on this, you'll know only came to my attention because somebody texted me from America to listen to it. And so hence my commitment to follow this through, this testing through. So there's an undeniable sense in which something significant has happened. And in in that sense, there is a tallying, a tallying of what was prophesied and what's happened. Now, I want to qualify that because It's important for you to also do your own testing, to listen to the prophetic word that was given, remember the specific thrust of what was said, and also I think the specific details. Chris had a um, a prophetic image in in the terms of a clock, um, a hand of a clock turning to, I think he said, 12. So in other words, there was a signifying significance of the first day of autumn, which as I said is the, um, it's coming up on Friday the 23rd of autumn, just check it out. And that when that day happens, there will be a new seasonal shift in the body of Christ that Chris characterized by a number of different things over a period of two decades. Now, again, I'm trying to do all I'm doing purely, you may not believe me, but I am doing all of this off off the top of my head. So I'm just trying to keep my mind on track. So those are the details of the prophetic word. Again, I'd encourage you to listen to it as part of your own testing. 
So we're hold, we're holding fast to what's good. That's what we're trying to do. And we can only do that if we're testing everything. Now, what I think is my main reflection here, okay, is this, is that there is a temptation to not test everything. We want to test the things that are spectacular, that are sensational, that grab our attention. So in other words, Chris prophesied about something historically shifting, significant in the nation, in the church, come the first day of autumn. And that's that. the temptation, I think, is for that to be all that's tested. In other words, because the queen has passed, because of all this activity, that there's a validation, in a sense, a vindication of the prophecy that was given. If you, if you only looked at that aspect of what was said, then you might be forgiven for saying, well, it was a bang-on prophecy. In fact, it's being validated. It's therefore that everything else that was said was also accurate and should be validated. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what the Bible tells us to do with prophecy. And this is the New Testament. This is, this is us being told what to do with prophecy today. Forget the guys that despise prophecy. Clearly, Chris doesn't. Clearly, the church there do not. And that's wonderful because we shouldn't. God forbid the despising of prophecy, I think is what Paul is saying. But testing everything means looking at more than just the kind of spectacular sensational sense in which a prophecy was brought two weeks, two or three weeks ahead of the most significant seismic shift in British history in most of our living memory. Now, if we only look at that fact... We're not testing everything. And so what else should we be looking at? Well, let's just let me just try and do this from memory. Okay. So there was no specific date given, even though there is an official date of the first of um first day of autumn, which as I've said, is coming up on the twenty-third of this month, which is a Friday. Five days after the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. We know that the succession of King Charles won't be for potentially months, despite the public proclamation today, which is the 10th of September. So let me paint a little hypothetical for you. For example, even if the first day of autumn, which is the 23rd, even if the Queen had passed on that day, or even if the funeral, her funeral was on that day, or even if, for example, the, success, the official coronation succession of King Charles III would have been on the 23rd, even then, it would be wrong and unwise and not true to what the Bible is teaching us to validate, rubber stamp a prophecy because it wouldn't be testing everything. In other words... And I'm, I'm being gracious here because, of course, nothing significant, as I'm speaking to you, is set to happen on the 23rd, Friday the 23rd of September. The funeral will be five days before that, on Monday the 19th. And the succession will be subsequent to that. So as I'm speaking to you, I'm, I'm trying to use a hypothetical scenario here. Even if the 23rd itself was a highly significant day, there is a need profound need to test more than just what is potentially sensational and spectacular. And unfortunately, as the Jerem- as the prophet Jeremiah points out, and I'm going to come to this in a, in a word 
that Lord willing, I'll bring tomorrow from Jeremiah 5. So if you would like to listen to that, I'll probably put that on both podcast and YouTube. Unfortunately, according to Jeremiah, that the people love it. People love false prophecy. People love a certain placation, positivity, dare I say, triumphalism. People people have loved to have it so, said Jeremiah. And so that's what people tend to want to test, to test the sensational elements of something, but, but fail to test everything else that followed. Now I'm testing it by saying, well, there's nothing that significantly happens on September the 23rd, the official first day of autumn, there may be something else may happen and that and that's true. But again, in this hypothetical scenario, what if something did happen on the 23rd, either say the funeral or the succession or whatever, even then testing everything here in terms of what was brought as a prophetic word to the British church has to include what I have challenged. And this is the main point. And I would say this in respect of Pete Gregg, who I read, whose premier article I read earlier about the double rainbow. There is a profound, Lord help me as I speak, there is a profound absence of spiritual sensitivity to the need to major and emphasize ad hominem the need for the people of God to repent. You, perhaps listening to me today, may be fed up to the back teeth of hearing me say that or others say that. But as I'll stress tomorrow when I deal with Jeremiah chapter 5 and 6, is that the people traditionally, uh, tradition is the wrong word, historically resist repentance with every stiff-necked fibre of our being. Trying to use and leave a little bit the language that the prophets use. We sat for four and a bit hours last night reading Isaiah. So testing everything that was brought, and it's not incidental, as I've explained recently in another teaching session, that God is not proven by the supernatural. God is not proven by the the sensational, the spectacular, or the undeniably supernatural demonically oppressed or oppressed or I would say probably possessed, Egyptian magicians were able to make staves into snakes. If you've not listened to that piece, please, it goes into those passages in, in Exodus and from the New Testament a little bit more to make the point that God is not proven or indeed prophecy is not proven by the supernatural or in this case with the prophecy in terms of predictive things something being predicted, even if it was the day of the funeral, that this first day of autumn was supposed to be the clock hand ticking over to 12 to signify a new seasonal shift that it would presumably affect. Or even then, the supernatural, the sensational, the spectacular does not prove God, does not bonafide tick, rubber stamp a prophecy, doesn't do that. That's That's why Paul says test everything including the spectacular, the sensational, the predictive, the future-orientated. And so, 
this absence, this kind of glossing over, and I've spoken to Chris in person about this. He phoned me. It was an odd, odd conversation. Chris, you know that. I've expressed that to you privately and personally. I don't understand the way you went about that. It didn't feel right. It Anyway, I'm not, get, I'm not going to go off piste here by going into that out of respect. But what I am saying is that the glossing over of repentance is a major test. Pete Gregg, writing to the National Church, trying to encourage everybody that there's good times ahead and that the rainbow signifies God's promises. And look, look I, I don't know how else to say this. I am not resisting. Mary and I don't sit here in Edinburgh resisting the pot, the hope of there being the voice of the Lord to a nation. Whenever there's something that's potentially promising, as I've expressed in previous content pieces on this in the last few weeks, we lean in. We hope for there to be clarity. We hope that for there to be, um, we hope for there to be an emphasis on what we believe with all of our hearts that God is saying to his people and to this nation, which is that there is a profound need for national repentance. And any chat of national revival is just not, it's just not right. It's, it's not just wide of the mark, it's willfully deceptive. And that's my concern, is that in obeying 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, test everything in order to what? Hold fast to that which is good that we, there is a deception where there is no emphasis on repentance, where there is a sense of needing to come to our senses. When Chris prophesies about st football stadiums being full of people praying over the next 20 years, apart from anything else, as non it's very difficult to validate that at the minute, of course, because I can't just survey 20 years in the future. But what I'm saying is, the triumphalist post-millennial type thing, again, that's an influence of the Bethel churches, which is deception in many ways. But, but when there's a leaning to hear potentially from God, and I think Chris probably has heard something of the Holy Spirit. I, can't, I don't know Chris. I don't know the church except for some of the theological emphases that, that concern me. There's no emphasis on suffering. There's no emphasis on being despised by a world in response to the proclamation of the gospel. Because why? Because the, the proclamation of the gospel is repent now for the kingdom of God is near. And guess what? When you tell the king of England to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, you're going to be despised. When you tell anyone on the streets to repent, you're going to be despised. And so what emphasis is there on the prophetic word that says, hey, listen, come the first day of autumn, we're going to have a seasonal shift. The church are going to march into the next two decades that's going to be characterized by stadiums being full of supposed Christians praying, whatever, when there's no call to repentance. And don't gloss over it. I'm testing the prophecy. That's failing. Jesus didn't ever gloss over the main thing. The sheep on the edge, the verge of the cliff to fall to their deaths. He prioritizes precision, which is why the gospel begins with the word repent. When we replace that word to be anything other than that, we fail the test of prophecy. So we test everything 
in order to hold fast to, to that which is good. I don't know what God was saying, if anything, through that prophetic word of three or four weeks ago. But what I can tell you with categoric assurance, because the Bible tells me so, is that any revival, any sense of there being a quote unquote bringing the glory of God back to the church will only ever happen when there is a heart cutting of the people of God. Without that, it's a pipe dream. Without that, the world will not be prepared for the return of Christ. And and on that point, when there's no reference or emphasis to the return of Christ, again, it's a testing of everything that's failing. How on earth, how on earth can there be a a prophecy to the national church, the British church over the next two decades, again, if we have them, without there being an eschatological awareness? It's a joke, guys. It really is. Do not despise prophecies, tick. Okay, we're not doing that. I don't think anybody's doing that apart from cessationists. But test everything. Well, may- maybe there is a despising of prophecy if we fail to do verse 21. If we fail to test everything, which is, as I've said, the only way that we can possibly hold fast to that which is good, to discern, to decipher, in other words, to sift. Maybe that is a form of despising. If we just treat prophecies with kind of carte blanche acceptance you know something sensational spectacular something look looking as though it's validating other things if that's just all we test and nothing else maybe that is a form of despising maybe there are multiple forms of despising of prophecy either wholesale denial or perhaps perhaps a wholesale acceptance test everything not just the sensational Hold fast what is good. How can you hold fast to that which is good if that which is good is not said or emphasized or majored? The Lord is calling his people to repent. Now, that repentance is not a notional awareness of the need for holiness. It's just not. And my concern, having spoken with Chris, is that there is a fundamental failure to understand that. Zero anguish. This is not a professional, continuing professional development task. We do not just tick a box and move on. I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 5, as I'll come to tomorrow, there's a, a verse in, in that chapter that, that talks about prophets being full of wind. That, wi- that word wind is the word ruach, which is also the same word for the word spirit. But the point that was being made in that prophecy at that point was that the prophets, the false prophets, were just full of wind as opposed to the spirit. Repent. Great British church at this most momentous national juncture, this fraying, the fraying fabric of a nation, I believe, And who knows what's coming, but tune in to what I want to share from Jeremiah tomorrow. But repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You don't have to shout about it. You don't even necessarily need to get onto a rooftop to make it known. But by God, if it's not there, if it's not there front and center, this is not the voice of the Lord. This is not something that we can hold fast to or recognize as being good. And by the way, that word good 
is a colossal understatement, as is the last word of verse 22, good. When God is good, it says God is good. When God saw that he did X, Y, and Z and saw that it was good, that is a colossal understatement. We don't understand the word good. Which is why I think we tend to sometimes despise prophecy by wholesale acceptance without testing everything. We we miss. We miss often what is not there at the expense of embracing spectacular, sensational things that may impress us on a level, but should, I think, ultimately leave us all with a sense of hollow, surely something else needs to be said here, other than there's going to be the next two decades of glory, there's going to be the next two decades of filling stadiums, there's going to be the next two decades of Christian triumphalism. No. Test everything, hold fast what is good, And let's abstain from every form of evil. Even if the Queen had died on Friday the 23rd of this month, even if the succession of King Charles III had happened on Friday the 23rd of this month, we would still be required to test everything that was said, and I think not said, in order to hold fast to that which is good. We must abstain from every form of evil. He's the good shepherd. He knows how to speak to his people with absolute clarity. Father, I pray in the precious name of Jesus for us all that there would be at this time of seismic national shift a profound sense of humility in all of us. When there's a need to repent, Lord, that we would do that. Where there's a need to repent publicly, that we would do that. And I ask, Lord, for there to be, um, please help your people to not be muddled, confused, duped, deceived, impressed by the things that we shouldn't be impressed by. Just as I'm praying now, you know, that sense of sometimes in the natural, I don't know what it could be. It could be, it could be purchasing a significant thing. It looks right. It looks like a good price. You know, everything externally looks correct. And yet there's a nagging in you that you can't quite quantify or explain. And in fact, it's probably a bit annoying because everything else looks right. Everything looks good. And yet there's a a knowing in you. I pray, Lord, for that to be the way that you lead us by your spirit, even with, let alone without quite being right those sensational things that tend to pull the hearts and sway the hearts of people, that there would be a tenderizing in humility to what it is you're saying individually and to us all. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from being deceived by sensational, spectacular things. Lord, that's still still quiet, still small voice that would lead us away from the cliff edge would be heard as though it were a foghorn. Lord, I pray, please, Cause each of us to hear what you really are saying. And I pray where your word is like a blazing beacon of clarity to repent for the kingdom of heaven, where we don't quite know what that would look like or how that would ever be possible for the church in this nation at that national scale to repent, what that would involve, what it would require, just like a sea that we can't see. How on earth do we move beyond this Egyptian army through a sea? Lord, you make a way where we cannot see 
And Lord, where we currently cannot see what national repentance would look like or mean, please don't let us be deceived by something in our peripheral vision that would lead us away from that which you would be truly saying to us. And Lord, I ask, just as your word is flawless and just as your word will never return void, just as your word emphasizes the way that you've dealt with your covenant people through all of humanity, through all of history, that you would indeed cause that, in a sense, timeless, eternal truth to ring like a bell, sound like a trumpet, that your people would know what it means truly to adopt a historical, historical posture of repentance, that we'd recognize that the events of this week are aiding that, are like oil on a greased skid for your people to understand, but even to begin to think about what it would look like to repent nationally in historic postures. Please do that, Lord. Well, there's a glossing over of the main thing. Forgive us, Lord. I pray that your voice somehow would resound like a siren at wartime, resound so that it would be impossible for anybody with a hearing to miss what it is you're saying. I pray that for the sake of your glory. I pray that for the sake of your people. I pray that for the sake of the lost world. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.